Welcome to What the Midwife Said, the podcast that's all about how babies and families are made. My name is Leah Hazard. I'm a mother, author of the best-selling memoir Hard Pushed, and I'm the midwife, in case you were wondering. In this series, I'm having honest conversations with some incredible guests, taking a deep dive headfirst into their experiences of fertility, pregnancy, birth, and parenting. That sheer... <laughs> being in your mind and in your body and in a horrible place and then once one second it's just done yeah and right before it's done you really want to poo yourself as well <laughs> yeah, you do. it's so grim it sounds like 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 a version of wonder woman lightning crotch i quite like the idea of that perhaps that's my alter ego oh i'm so ready i'm gonna be a woman i'm gonna have a baby <laughs> and jamie's like calm down i'm like no but i'm ready my mummy said to me when i said no she went look Lol, if they are offering you this, it means I think you're going to live and it means I think you've got a future. Yeah, you think, how am I going to squeeze out a whole <laughs> other organism from that small place? The first time round, it was, I was saying to the midwife, hey, I feel like I need to push, I need to push, something's just, you know, and mm. it was a lot of, no, don't push, you're going to reverse everything, stop pushing, stop, literally shouting at me. There was a moment in my head where I just went, I don't think I can do this. I think this is going to, I think it's going to break me and I think I'm not going to be very well. And I was so scared. I was so mm. scared. We're exploring the way we see our bodies and our relationships, the choices we make as we build our families and the highs and the lows that those choices can bring. No judgment, no shame just what the midwife said. And I want you to join the conversation too. If you have any questions or you'd like to share your experiences, you can find me on social media at Leah Hazard on Instagram or at Hazard underscore Leah on Twitter. Just include the hashtag what the midwife said. Today's guest has made a career out of having honest conversations. I remember looking at my husband and like thinking, what and this is no disrespect for him but the hormones and everything I'm just like what have I done I can't think of a single nice thing about you and <laughs> I've, just, I've just created a life with you when I say I was in labour and we had, didn't call her for a long time turns out she was sitting in the car outside of our house for like two hours beforehand which I absolutely loved because she knew that I was close but was ready but when she walked in I was at, I must have been probably at 10 centimetres I was just just in that headspace where I was thinking, I'm over this. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Clemmie Telford, host of the Honestly podcast, curator of the Mother of All Lists, an online collection of candid stories from all walks of life, and mother of three young children. Good morning, Clemmie. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. So as you've just told me before we came on air, you are in a co-working space. I freely admit I am sitting at home in my pyjamas, which is the joy of podcasting. <laughs> have you experienced the joy of pyjama podcasting? I have. Uh, have I actually done pyjamas? Actually, I did do one, which I was a guest I was really nervous about. And then I ended up messing up the timings. And it turned out I had to basically do the interview almost straight out of the shower. So my hair was wet, no makeup on. And as we were just saying off mic, I record on video. And that is, yeah, I looked a complete wreck. But actually, we ended up having a really nice chat because I think it 
made me put all my barriers down. <laughs> so Absolutely. Quite, quite nice about being super chilled. Well, we can pretend that I look really groomed and polished, <laughs> but actually I am a complete state. So uh, full <laughs> disclosure there. So Clemmy, before these podcasts, I like to do a bit of research about my guests. And obviously I'm well familiar with your Honestly podcast. So I had a day of slightly stalkerish research, <laughs> um, which I really enjoyed. Highly recommend to anyone. And I was listening to one of your podcasts in which you were discussing the topic of happiness. Mm. And you and your guests were debating whether you were normal happy or Bieber level happy. So I thought I would start today by asking you, and um, with everything that's going on in this crazy world, uh, how how are you? Are you up there on the Bieber scale? As you're gonna, as per my podcast and as per everything that I do, I'm gonna give you the super honest answer. I have had a pretty rough couple of weeks, and this week I feel like the lights have come back on. And and when you are in like a bad headspace, you can't ever imagine getting back to this point. And so, although I'm not actually. 10 out of 10 happy I'm so happy just to feel not negative that it that it possibly could be Bieber level if you know what I mean <laughs> we're sort of like Perry Bieber level yeah. like that yeah. yeah I mean I I appreciate your honesty and I totally relate I think for so many of us this year has just been a constant cycle of feeling like you're in this long dark mm. tunnel of gloom and then kind of re-emerging for a minute and then going back into the tunnel yeah and the most disconcerting thing for me is Normally, with my mental health, I can manage it, but I haven't been able to spot so well when I'm heading back into a dark place. And then I'm suddenly like, oh, no, it's a cliche. We have to be really patient with ourselves. This is, this is, can I swear on this podcast or not? No, please feel free I don't think I can but you can so you can make up for me it's, it is a total head fuck it's like I think that the most difficult thing is that we've, there's nothing to look forward to you can't put a holiday in the diary you can't organize to meet friends you can't do so it's just it feels this long schlep which is hard yeah schlep absolutely classic word to describe what 2020 has all been about and I mean I can only imagine that since sort of March April time this has been a, a long schlep and a busy schlep because you have three young children is that right <laughs> I do oh my I goodness do. yeah it's um you know hats off my my um partner is a stay-at-home dad so he has done the bulk of the like the childcare. but actually that still then sends you in this spiral of kind of I should be doing this and I'm not and you know me made me really head down in, in work so yeah but it, it's been it's been an experience for sure yeah and it's interesting you say you still have kind of that feeling of I should be doing this mm. because what's interesting is you would think that in a global pandemic that whole element of kind of mum guilt we'd maybe give ourselves a break <sighs> but for me it's almost like worse sometimes yeah. like yeah. I, I was just thinking the other day I had lots to do, which was good, and I was busy and productive. And then I thought, oh, I should really have spent more time with my youngest today, who's 14. And I thought, do you know, I've actually just spent like six solid months at home with her. Yeah. Um, but we forget, don't we? Yeah, we do. And yeah, it's so true. And again, maybe from, I'm just thinking out loud, but because there's less of the monumental moments like holidays, or those those bits which would normally be ring fenced as pure family time, they've gone. So you're sitting in this constant kind of middle ground, and yeah, we've spent loads of time together, but not so much really great quality time. A lot of survival time, but I'm, I'm sure they'll for the kids. It's been hard, but they'll 
there may be there'll be some positives i hope of having been at home a lot who knows yeah we we hope so mm. i mean can, can you think of any off the top of your you know head what, actually, or is it just awful it's mainly awful but actually i've got a my youngest is two my daughter mm. and she in the unusual situation of having her older brothers at home for six months and it's quite odd because her language and she just developed in this extremely fast way she was like a, t- a little just coming out of babydom and is now a fully fledged girl and it's just like oh that's that is because you would never normally have that sibling interaction so for her it's been great although I mean she's she's my first daughter and goodness me it's a cliche but I really was up for raising a strong woman, but the reality of that is is extraordinary. She is a power. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And for me, I mean, I have two girls who are 14 and 17, so a a little bit further down that journey. So I don't have anything to compare it to because I've never had boys. But do you you already see the difference? Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm in awe of her and don't want to chip any of the edges of her, but... Mm. But it's 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 a thing. She is an f- absolute force, and yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't know. It's so hard. It's like third child, and the fact that she has got two older brothers has definitely shaped her. But yeah, she's she's something else, and it's admirable, but full on. <laughs> Yes, full on, definitely. That's very diplomatic of you. For a lot of us, like you say, the pandemic has kind of forced us to spend all this time together and kind of evolve our relationships with our families and with ourselves. And in this year, this endless schlep, which Mm. is still ongoing, has it kind of encouraged you to make changes to your family life moving forward? Or do you just think, oh, I just miss the way it was and I'd rather Um, just went back to, to normal? I think the good learning has been, and it kind of contradicts what I just said, but but pre this life, we were always of the mindset like on a Saturday, we have to be out of the house by 10.30, otherwise we'll all implode. And we, we were forever like booking weekends away or booking activities. And I think it's been really healthy to learn to entertain and be happy in a much smaller world and and yes sometimes that can feel quite claustrophobic but there has we it has been really nice to to learn that I think Mm -hmm. and do you think your kids are feeling that as well yeah I think they probably they probably are I think although it's fun to forever be like packing a weekend bag and getting in the car and I and I do kind of believe it to be true if you allow them to get to the point of being a little bit bored which isn't easily done these days especially if you don't have a particularly big home they actually do end up playing these really lovely games and um, and it, yeah I think I think it's been really healthy for them in that respect. Yeah, I remember a few years ago there I think there was a book out um about a kind of style of parenting called idle parenting. I don't mm. know if you remember that. I wish I could remember who it was by. And it wasn't about, you know, full on neglect your children obviously, but there was really something interesting in it about the sort of um slightly hands off yeah kind of beneficent neglect sort of you know just letting them do their own thing making sure their needs are met obviously and sort of supervising from a distance but just letting them kind of sort it out themselves and I think it it pre-covid I mean I'm as guilty of this as anyone you're almost such a kind of helicopter parent of constantly being involved and knowing what they're up to and and being sort of micromanaging everything and we've we've really had to just by virtue of the 
time involved this let year. Go, but... Yeah, just let it go. Not a but bad think... thing. It all comes back round, doesn't it? Because as a working mum, like there's that mum guilt. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to over-index at the weekends and like make sure we do stuff that counts, which is, yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but I think that was in my head. And yeah, to, to go the other way and do so many, yeah, too much, so much less. And actually, I think back to my own like summer holidays. Um, I grew up in like, a village, so we did have much more space, which helped, but the, the most fun times were, yeah, me and my siblings knocking about up to kind of strange things in the garden and not and not having our parents right there. So it's kind of trying to replicate that a bit, I suppose. Mm. And I can imagine that style, that more relaxed style has been helpful while you've been trying to write a book over the past <laughs> few months. Is that right? Oh, my word. You've written a book, haven't you? I have written I've written a couple of books. The last one was a bit of a doozy, I have to say. That was that was a tough one. But tell us tell us about the book that you have been writing. So it's it's quite um it's quite a thing to so I've got my book deal as we went into lockdown and the um the, the title of it is But Why? How to Answer Difficult Questions from Kids by Having Honest Conversations with Yourself. So basically it's going through all those classic kind of big life questions um what what uh, what happens when people die do i have to get married um is there such a thing as god have um humans ruined the planet so all the really big hefty stuff which uh, i don't know what shape that book would have taken had it have happened in a in a mm-hmm. different time but to, to to be answering those questions in the middle of a pandemic when it felt like we really all had to ladder into our own values and beliefs and and really figure out what we actually think and so it it became an existential crisis anyone who has been close to me in the last seven months I'm sorry because I've not been much fun because you have to there's there's all those questions have the quick answer and then you have to go but actually what do I really think and what do I want to pass on to the next generation and what does the other answer to that question look like you know I think there's a lot of what we've experienced in 2020 has taught us that there are different perspectives and that people do have different experiences and and not to just default to what we think we think and be sure that we're we're answering mindfully so yeah writing a book actually when I'm speaking to you is one of the closest comparisons to giving birth I've ever had like that oh for sure that sheer (laughs) being in your mind and in your body and in a horrible place and then once one second it's just done yeah and right before it's done you really want to poo yourself as well <laughs> yeah, you do. it's so grim <laughs> uh, I, I, I literally felt like I shut off from the world in that uh, that end bit and the thing is again comparatively to labor you know you're going to do it but you just don't know how but you know yes. you've got to <laughs> yeah you think how am I going to squeeze out a whole other <laughs> organism from that small place and it's the same thing you think how am I going to get all of these thoughts from inside my head onto that screen and you just can't see how it's oh. going to happen but you you've done it I'm guessing if you you've done your draft yeah, done yeah 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 and I mean I'm under no illusion that I'm out of the woods yet we've got a whole edit process but at least from now on in it's kind of a shared responsibility and it's not not and also I've had the joy of a break from it 
it became so overwhelming for a while. And you're, you're stuck in this thing where you're like, writing a book is on my like life goals, so I'm not going to complain about it, but I'm having a horrible time. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you could have moaned to me anytime. I'm more than happy. But as you say, now that you've sort of delivered it, as it were, yeah, um, yeah. to your publishers, your, your editor really, to continue the metaphor, yeah. becomes your midwife and that yeah. person sort of guides you and yeah. cheerleads you and also is a little bit scary. But um, That's fine. I kind of, fine. I don't mind a bit of authority. And also I think, like anyone who's listened to this who is in that process, you, you don't know how to write a book until you've written a book. Like if I went mm-hmm. to, again, again, similarly to my second or third verse, I would go in with so much more knowledge and I'd have a bit more of an idea of what each section felt like. But you've just got to have a go at it to to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I look back at some of the first bits of writing I did for Hard Pushed and it's absolutely shocking. I mean, I'm quite embarrassed, actually, (laughs) (laughs) how poor it is. And I just think I can't believe anybody saw anything in that. Um, So thank you for anyone that did. But yeah, I think once you've done it, you you would approach the next one from a completely different Mm. angle. Going back to the content of the book, so about kind of tricky questions Mm. that you've had from your children, what are some of the trickiest questions your children have asked you over the last few months as we've navigated this crazy time? Well, I'm actually laughing to myself because this I will answer your question in a minute, but shortly after I submitted the book, I was having a bath with my eight-year-old, and he's it is really sweet, and he's like, Oh, so mummy, tell me some of the questions. And I rattled through some of them, and he like absolutely nailed the answer to so many of them straight off the bat. And I'm like, oh, I've just spent seven months like basically navel gazing, doing these convoluted long answers. You you already know it. I was like, oh, so I answered one about puberty. He's like, oh yeah, that's when your body changes when you're becoming an adult. So okay, great. Well, I mean, I didn't need to waste <laughs> how many thousand words <laughs> answering that. You've got it. So, oh, he learned it from you though. So you know, you know it's true. all from the same source. But it's kind of funny. It's like yeah, I've made this really over the top version of it, and you've already you've already got it. Um, what questions did they ask? I think the the most difficult thing is like when is this going to be over? My you know it's when my uh, five or my six year old. It's his birthday at the end of the month, and having to explain to him that there isn't going to be no kind of birthday party. And I think. I know that isn't an answer to the book, but the COVID has definitely been a, a source of many questions. And, and it's hard as a parent not having the answers, isn't it? I think the children naturally want a kind of timeline and that, you know, whether it's how many sleeps or how many months and when will this end and what's happening next. And it's something that none of us really knows. So that is really challenging. There's a big um, chunk I've written in the book, actually, which is, I think, without, I only can speak from my experience, but with my parents' generation, I, I don't think I ever heard them say, I don't know. And I think there is actually real power as a parent. And actually, when we're talking about probably about politics in loads of situations, if you don't know, it's okay to say you don't know. So I'm really trying to practice that. Like, I don't know. I will look into the answers or we might have to wait and find the answers. Kids have got this really amazing like sixth sense, and I think we do them a real disservice if we try and fob them off sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's actually to have the hu- humility to say I don't know, but I, I'm going to learn is is really powerful. And actually, I really want to instill that in them to to be prepared to either be wrong or not have the answers, and, and to feel okay about that. Yes, and I think that's a hard fought 
lesson when you're a parent because at the very start when you have your first child you think no I I need to know the answer to everything and if uh, my child asks me why is the sky blue or why do I need to go to bed at seven o'clock or why this or that I have to know all the answers they have to all be correct has to all be nice and tidy and in neat boxes and then by the time you're on child number two or in your (laughs) case three it's like "Mm." (laughs) the irony is by by three when I probably did know some of the answers the bar was so low that you get to the point you're like I assume that I don't know and then if I um you know and I think I think it is really powerful to to be okay with that there's, there's so much truth I remember if I think back to my, my google history with my first child just like wanting the answers and there isn't any you know there is no and, it, and it, it's really disconcerting but actually that's okay yeah it's strange to think of the people that we were at that point yeah. in our lives I mean for, for me it was kind of 17 18 years ago and she seems like a different person yeah in terms of the standards that she held herself to I mean look at me I'm, I'm sitting here kind of unwashed in my pajamas so you can see how the bar has fallen but going back in time to kind of pre-children Clemmy, what was she like this is so funny. I'm actually working on a brief, which is kind of talking to my um, like my first time parent version of me. And I looked at photos yesterday, and exactly as you're saying, I I just don't know how much of me I can see in her at all anymore. And that's such a weird feeling. Um, pre, I mean, can I? So yeah, it's only like eight nine years ago for me. I think what was I? I mean, I feel like in such a, such a huge period of growth, I would have probably described myself as kind of work hard, play hard. I had a job in advertising, and that, that kind of really defined me. And there was so a lot of partying involved in that. Mm-hmm. And then nine years down the line, I, I no longer drink. And like my career is super important to me, but the, my career is now outside of that industry because it's it's obviously all of this stuff so it's kind of weird not to be climbing a career ladder in that way that I was yeah um, you kind of invent your own ladder when yeah. you're a kind of this. self-employed yeah. hustling mum don't you yeah, whatever this is and I think I'd like to think that version of me would be really proud of where I'm at but yeah, I'm thinking about your comment about how you're looking today. I often ask myself, when I go out without any makeup on, is that because I've let myself go or because I'm more empowered and I can never decide? Oh, completely, <laughs> completely, Clemmy. And do you not find kind of at the start of lockdown earlier in the year, like for me, at first I was like, great, I'm not going to wear any makeup. Yeah. I'm just going to wear joggers with elasticated waists I'm not dressing for anybody I won't wear a bra I'm really empowered and this is me and after a few weeks I was like I really want to put some makeup on and make myself it's so true and and actually so much of that ritual is for yourself in fact I was having a conversation with friends and like for all those years that we hated commuting and you know commuting is bleak but I definitely think one of the challenges of this is that I'll be on a zoom call put down like close off the laptop and then within three seconds have to transition into mum mode and actually that commute whatever length it was did serve a purpose of mentally transitioning from work clemmy to to mum clemmy and that is quite hard to to be adjusting it so rapidly and and for now especially with so many people working from home or furloughed or um, and sadly being redundant there there is no longer that 
transition between home and work life, is there? There's no space to sort of separate those two selves, which is difficult. I digress. I just going back to the subject of sort of what we were like before we had children, if if we can remember those yeah. women, those young, young women. Um obviously this is a, a kind of midwifey birthday yeah. podcast to a certain extent. So I'm interested in asking you, Clemmy, if you can cast your mind back to the person that you were then. Um, how did you prepare for pregnancy and birth that very first time? What What was your kind of? Well, you know what? It's mode my arm sweat. This is how like kind of emotive it is. So I, I am one of I'm the eldest of five kids. So I always just thought that motherhood would would be something that would would come easy to me because I've been in like a fairly maternal role as the oldest sibling um and so it was something I was always kind of keen to get on with and so we were the first of our friends and the first of my siblings to have kids so I didn't have anyone really to learn off and so I did prep in terms of I did NCT and I read some books and etc etc um and I kind of I think I probably quite backed myself and as such, the wheels came off in spectacular fashion because, and like, I don't know, to go into the birth thing, I went um, to 41 plus six, which actually mm-hmm. set the tone for where things go because I was, so, I was always someone who probably veers into control freak stuff. You know, I like to be all over stuff. I look at time, train timetables before I catch a train. I you know, I would always have done the revision at school, etc., etc. Just briefly for our listeners, so in case they don't know, the sort of classic standard length of a full-term pregnancy is 40 weeks. Obviously, it can go, you know, well below or above that. So for you, I would imagine by um, oh. kind of 13 weeks past that, you must have been looking at your timetable going, what's happening? Yeah, I, 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 yeah make no qualms of the fact I was absolutely losing it. And the joke is I went... I went really over, it's not over, you know, it's not overdue because you, that sure. is a normal pregnancy, but I went post-dates with all three of mine and lost it every single time, even though by the third I knew that I'd gestate for, you know, beyond 41 weeks. But this, it's that thing of, you know, raging hormones, everybody asking you what you're doing, when it's going to happen. Um, and the real uh, salt in the wound is that my sister-in-law was pregnant at the same time. She ended up giving birth basically on my due date, but it was early for her. And then so we went to this labour ward, post-labour ward to meet my niece, and I'm overdue and just like only pregnancy hormones make you do this, but I'm seething, absolutely seething basically, (laughs) that I feel like she's still on my due date. But you know what, I really feel like so much of motherhood is set to teach you, shine a a mirror on the, the parts of you and I think straight away that control thing I had to learn to deal with in my labour I ended up being induced even though I was already in natural labour so that it it oh yeah it went not brilliantly in that I um contracted very very quickly and then ended up uh, with a episiotomy and, and and hemorrhaging and actually the care I got in the hospital wasn't great. I had a panic attack immediately afterwards. And it's not surprising mm. because I think I had probably had quite a lot of adrenaline pumped into me. And I really needed someone to say to me, you're having a panic attack because you're absolutely exhausted. You're fine. Here's a here's a piece of toast and a hug and it will be all right. But I didn't get that. And I was 
um, they said, oh, you can see a psychiatric midwife tomorrow. And again, it's just like, just it sets the tone, doesn't it? A traumatic birth um, mm-hmm. and, and not having any friends to lean on who who could say to me, oh, actually, you know what? These, I felt like I was the only one in the world who had had a who had had a bad birth, and that isn't the case. But you just feel like, oh, you know, the thing that I thought I was going to be good at, mm-hmm. I wasn't. And then um, I think I spent the first bit of that of motherhood thinking that I was going to get told off any minute now, and that I was doing it wrong. And I mean, it's a classic first baby thing. People would come round, had too many guests round, and we'd be tidying the house and giving everyone, you know, meals when actually it should have been us resting. And yeah, just too quick to try and prove that we were doing well at it when mm-hmm. actually it would have been all right to to say this is really hard. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, I can empathise with so much of that. And I think if you are naturally quite um, well, I don't know if this applies to you, but a bit of an overthinker, a bit of a perfectionist and a planner. You think, right, I've prepared, therefore it will go exactly as yeah. I've planned. And even if it doesn't, I can totally cope with it. And then when it doesn't go that way, as you say, when the wheels come off, which is such a fantastic sort of visual, mm. um, for things getting totally derailed, we are so critical, aren't we? In that first bit particularly, it changes every single part of you, your relationship, your finances, your body, you're you know I've been really a career person and like a party person and I just remember like thinking is this who I am now you know and not recognizing myself and then actually you know older Clemmy would say bits of you do come back or different versions of you and it's okay but it's it's it is a really is a baptism of fire it really is and I think that a lot of women are really reluctant to be so honest in admitting that there is that moment where you almost think is this a big mistake what have I done and I remember um having a conversation with my mum when my eldest was a few days old my mum's over in America where I was born and grew up and I was saying to her it was so hard and I had a long labour and a cesarean section and then breastfeeding was a disaster and I must have been having a, a bubble to her on the phone and she was saying oh don't worry it gets easier in 18 years when they leave and I thought, oh, no. that's like the worst thing. It's not even funny. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't even know what you want someone to say to you other than to go, it is hard. And there's also yes. that thing, I mean, I talk about it quite a lot as do my peers, but I remember looking at my husband and like thinking, what, and this is no disrespect for him, but the hormones and everything, I'm just like, what have I done? I can't think of a single nice thing about you. And <laughs> I've, just, I've just created a life with you. And of course, it's just, and again, you go from this kind of, we're like relatively newly married and did all these nice things together. And suddenly it's the middle of the night, no one slept. And the things that come out of your mouth mm-hmm. are horrendous. And once I'm, I wish someone had said to you, oh no, it doesn't mean that everything's over. It just, this is just a, a bit that you have to go through. And again, when, with our second and third, when we still had those moments in the middle of the night when you're speaking to each other in a horrendous way, but we could laugh about it because we knew that this is just the newborn bit. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. 
it comes back. It's almost like I like to think of it like you're one of these wild horses <gasps> that has to be completely broken, <laughs> and then you can be sort of yeah. re- rebuilt and become this kind of sleek machine. Um, <laughs> or try anyway, not so sleek now. <laughs> but, <laughs> I've never been described as sleek in my life. I've never been there's something to own for in my as I head towards my forties. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Sleep in 43, that's how I describe myself every day. But do you, do you, would you agree, though, that from sort of first birth to third birth, um, you, you really, you are a different person, aren't you? And was, was your last birth experience quite different as well? Actually, so my second and third births were both absolutely amazing. Like, oh, so good. So I, um, I, for some reason, we decided to have a really small age gap. Again, on reflection I know why because around about the first birthday there's this blissful bit where your baby is hopefully sleeping a bit and you know beginning to be really cute but they haven't become a toddler they're not Mm -hmm. walking and they're not talking properly (laughs) when I found out I was pregnant for the second time I remember looking at the the um the pregnancy test thinking oh what the hell have I done I'm gonna have to give birth again and so I did um, hypnobirthing and really, actually, and I really recommend this to anybody, anyone who's had a what they would consider a traumatic birth. I got up the notes from my first labour mm-hmm. with, my, with my community midwife because I was having a home birth, so I was very supported and went through the notes and kind of understood what happened when and really helped me separate what I'd remembered that experience to be like versus the reality. And I found it hugely, hugely therapeutic. And I think not many women realise that they can do that because it's information about you. It's your record. So every health board is different, but you um, usually have to put it in writing to the records department or whatever. And you can get your notes and you can sit and debrief with somebody. Um, And I, I did that as well after my first daughter's birth. It was actually part of me training to be a doula because I Um, I thought, how can I really understand and help other people if I don't really know what happened with me. Um, And uh, you know, all kind of the wheels definitely came off in spectacular fashion. But the one thing that really struck me when I was reading through this midwife's documentation was at one point she had written the words coping well. Uh, I think I had something similar and you're just like, oh, I didn't lose it. Whatever had happened during the postpartum bleeding yeah. would have been the reason I had the panic attack. It wasn't that, again, my mind had let me down. And if it had, it wouldn't have mattered. But just to understand that. So anyhow, yeah, I did hypnobirthing and decided to have a home birth. And where I live in South East London, really lucky that if you – I moved house. And so I was in a different different area. And it meant that I got community midwifery care, which is just – an absolute game changer so for anyone who doesn't know that means that I saw the same team and actually mainly the same midwife from my first checking appointment right through to my birth it's a transformative thing like and it's Mm -hmm. not very available now that would want to be the the kind of standard model I think I'm right in saying but yeah a lot of us are kind of working towards that as the gold standard but this unfortunately COVID has kind of derailed that for many of us but it's, yeah, it's just a completely different experience. So that all my wobbles I was worried about potentially bleeding again. And, you know, when I did go post-dates, I, I just felt supported. And to, yeah, I had my second Woody at home. Uh, you, you know, I think it's always important to say that any birth is still hard work. I'm not suggesting that suddenly it becomes super easy. It was hard work. 
but I felt so in control of the situation, which for me is, was absolutely fundamental. And he was born in his sack on call, which, uh-huh. which is amazing. But again, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, that is when his amniotic, um, correct me if I'm wrong, amniotic um, sack is intact. So basically he was in this bubble and then when it opened, he's, he's perfectly clean and like, mm-hmm. amazing inside. And it also usually means that he's had a very, very, gentle entrance into the world it's amazing to watch babies being born in their sack it doesn't happen very often but when it does it's almost like you can see this golden bubble coming out yeah and you think if you don't know what it is you think what is that and but you can actually see the fluid kind of swirling around inside it and then as you say this perfect baby that looks almost like it's asleep just kind of easing out so that must have been amazing for amazing and and just so healing because the problem is with the first birth that I had and, and I, I just didn't have that rush of love because I was so traumatized and then that plays into your mind you're like especially if a baby in, in Bertie's case had been had an episiotomy you know he doesn't look in the best state and I just remember them passing them to me and just thinking what and then to be able to to, to have that massive um, oxytocin rush the second time and I always say and then like go to my own bed and we ordered pizza honestly there is not much better in the entire world than a brand newborn baby in your arms and a pizza <laughs> oh so good yeah after my second birth which was a home birth in huge contrast to the first one um, I finally got in the birth pool which I'd been too quick to get into during the labor itself and my husband gave me half of his chicken fried rice and the <laughs> only picture I have of her birth is me sitting up beaming from ear to ear in the birth pool eating chicken fried rice. Yeah, so this is what it's like. Yeah. Um, and then my third labour was again at home, and I think it's quite common, but I've had a real stop-start time of it. I think it's quite common in third. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'd had a lot of false starts, which is really frustrating, again, as a control freak, when you're like, I think I know what labour's about now, and I'm still second-guessing myself. But as such... I was kept on saying to myself, maybe this isn't it, maybe this isn't it, which is, in reflection is absolutely laughable because it was definitely it. Um, uh, there's a hilarious moment. We needed to uh, get my other kids looked after. So they'd gone to school in the morning and then my husband went and dropped an overnight bag round to my sister's, which is only 15 minutes up the road. He ended up being gone for an hour and a half. He got stuck oh, behind a bin bin. Laurie, and he decided to go and buy me flowers. Like, I mean, flowers. Are <laughs> As really you do. Nice. I'm in active labour, and in my head, I was like, I am really. So I spent an hour and a half labouring on my own. Oh but, no! And then he got home. I jumped in the bath, came downstairs, and I was like, I am further along with this labour than you realise. He's like, Hey, <laughs> I think maybe we'll call the midwife, and she came, and then Greta was born 15 minutes later. Amazing. So, but, but, so yeah. lucky he got back in time. Oh, God. I think I probably would have hung on to her for it's like it's similarly until I, the boys went to school in the morning I felt like my labor was quite held back and then it went and there yeah, so I basically did most of it mainly me on my own and then mainly us two which again could maybe sound quite scary if you don't know what you're going into but it felt like such an amazingly pure experience because yeah I was confident of like where I'm you know my own abilities to labor so yeah it was I feel so lucky to have had those two 
birth. That that's amazing. That's a really lovely kind of healing story. And oh. I wish that for everyone. And you know, something I found from my earliest days as a doula to now being kind of seven years into being a midwife is that so many women unfortunately seem to have that kind of traumatic first birth. And it's almost like I don't know, like the universe makes us do yeah, that before we can have an experience that's positive and satisfying. And I think mm. One of the reasons I went into midwifery was to kind of try and stop that happening so yeah. so we can kind of skip to the good bit. But I yeah. think it's a really common experience. Yeah, I mean, the few people I know who've had really wonderful first births, at the time I just don't think they can comprehend what a gift that is. I think that it just sets you on such a great thing. And, you know, part of me is like motherhood is a long journey and you you know the person who gets a baby that sleeps well then has a terrible toddler or indeed might even have a terrible teenager you know it, mm-hmm. it does all come out in the wash one way and another <laughs> no one is going to breathe through parenting but True. um yeah labor is absolutely can be so transformative and there's that analogy that we we spend more time like choosing the, the pram than we do prepping for labour. And I think that something like hypnobirthing, I wish it had another title because it isn't any kind of hippie thing. It's just trying to mentally get yourself in the place of being able to relax in the, in the face of labour and it makes such a difference. And we wouldn't go and run a marathon without having prep. So the idea that you'd suddenly give birth without mentally prepping is bananas. <laughs> What I've been doing in this podcast, which I've been finding really interesting so far, is obviously the name of the podcast is What the Midwife Said. Mm -hmm. And I've been asking every guest if you can remember something that a midwife or another healthcare professional has said to you during your pregnancies or your birth that really stayed with you. So I'm I'm guessing you've got one already. But either Yeah. Yeah, either something really positive or or something not so positive well there's the two ends that midwife saying to me that um they'll transfer me to a psychiatric you know midwife it's absolutely such an awful thing to say they I just needed a hug but with my third birth with the midwife I had you know a, a community led and when I say I was in labor and we had didn't call her for a long time turns out she was sitting in the car outside of our house for like two hours beforehand which I absolutely love because she knew that I was close but was ready but when she walked in I was at, I must have been probably at 10 centimeters I was just just in that headspace where I was thinking I'm over this and I was on my knees up against the sofa and she said to me Clemmie you look like a goddess it's making me well up and you know what at that point when I was just like wow I have I got anything more in me to have someone say that to, I don't know I like will never forget it I don't think it just gave me that final thing to go you've got this you know check in with the fact that you know that once you start to get wobbly it is transition and this baby isn't far off and yeah it was yeah such an amazing thing because in that moment you are in your most kind of womanly feminine being that you could ever be I guess yeah and I think a lot of women their first reaction to being in that space is apologizing or being embarrassed so many women say to me oh I mean what must I look like I'm sorry I've made a mess um these kinds of things but then when you can flip that and say to a woman you're a goddess you're beautiful yeah. what you're doing you look strong oh. and radiant that it really is transformative it I'm really so glad is. you had that and you know yes the thing the noises that come out of you 
are unbelievable. I'm new, all the way through Labour. Um, it's, yeah, but, it, I, you know, I, it must be amazing to see women doing that because it is absolutely extraordinary. And somebody that you wouldn't look twice at on the street can transform into that radiant goddess, you know, without sounding too hippy-dippy about it. Mm. You know, within the space of a couple hours, it's truly yeah. phenomenal. It really is. And I always laugh to myself with the first labour. I had, you know, picked the right outfit to give birth in it. And like the moment you're in proper labour, there is no way you're keeping clothes on and you couldn't give a shit who saw you. Just like, I am going to be naked now. And, and again, it's just something as women all those times when you're like judging your own body and to be completely at a point. And I'm sure it's not for everybody, but for me, well, I actually just didn't care what I looked like because you're so in your own mind and your own body. I think it's kind of a blissful thing in some ways. And I think that's a lovely, beautiful, radiant, powerful place for us to finish. Aww. That's a fantastic image. And I thank you so much for sharing your story Aww, with me, Femi. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's really nice to um, sometimes like take a walk down memory lane and uh, I'm accepting the fact that that chapter of my life, which has been really dominated the last eight or nine years of pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding and giving myself so much to very, very small children, is behind me. So it's nice to kind of look back on it rather than feel like I'm in it. Yeah, and now you're just going to have book babies from here on. (laughs) Yeah, which um, I definitely did not look like a goddess in the final stages of that. (laughs) Were you not naked at that point? No, No, absolutely wired on caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) Great, that's my permanent state of being. (laughs) And for everybody who's listening, um, tell us the name of the book again and when it is out, please. It's called But Why? How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids by Having Honest Conversations with Yourself. So just but why? And it is not out till May. So who knows where the world will be by then. Best of luck with it, Clemmy, and thanks again. My pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. That was amazing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of What the Midwife Said, hosted by me, Leah Hazard, and produced by the lovely Steve Bland of Bambi Media. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Clemmy Telford as much as I did. Please get in touch if you have anything to say about our conversation. Please do remember to review and subscribe to the podcast so that other listeners can find us. Share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag WhatTheMidwifeSaid and tune in next week. 